Scripture today comes from John 19, verses 28 through 30. Later, knowing that everything had now been finished, and so that Scripture would be fulfilled, Jesus said, I am thirsty. A jar of wine vinegar was there, so they soaked a sponge in it, put the sponge on a stalk of the hyssop plant, and lifted it to Jesus' lips. When he had received the drink, Jesus said, It is finished. With that, he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. Amen. God's word this morning. Um, first, let me say thank you all for a beautiful Advent season, at least for me. I enjoyed every Sunday. I enjoyed every day of the week. I enjoyed Christmas Eve service, and uh, I really enjoyed the candlelight service. So thank you all for helping me live out something I always wanted to do, which is being a a building like this, worshiping God on Christmas Eve, that for me that's a dream come true. And I really do appreciate it. I can think of no better way to enter New Year's than by baptizing one uh, in the Lord. So next week we will be baptizing our sister in the Lord and then what a way to start off in a new year. I just think that's beautiful. And then I can think of no better way to finish off the old year than to speak on baptism from a brethren perspective. I realize that I'm a total novice when it comes to brethren teaching um, and things like that. So uh, forgive me, I don't know everything about it. I've <coughs> dug my head in there and from studying the, the brethren books that I've been given, from asking members who've been in the brethren church their whole life, about their experiences and what brethren believe, and then going to the Brethren Heritage Center, I arrived at what I'm going to speak on today. So if I miss something, I'm sure that maybe you'd say, well, you missed this part of our heritage. But I made a promise when you asked me to be your pastor that I would not change who we are as a congregation. We'll stay true the best we can to our the Brethren Heritage and those who went on before us. Beliefs are foundational for the Christian experience. In beliefs, we grow, we learn, and ultimately we teach our children what we believe, do we not? We teach them our traditions and things we go through, and we say, this is what we believe, and this is uh, our way as Christians. And for some of us who, like what I call, is we claim God's promises in the Bible, we will claim Proverbs 22, verse 6. Um, train up a child in the way he should go, and when he is old, he will not depart from it. And just from a, a point of experience, I, I kind of believe that. As we get older, we want to get back to our roots, do we not? I like going to Kentucky once a year to what was called the holler. I want to see where my dad was raised, my great-grandpa, and what all they done, and if they really had to walk 14 mile barefooted to get to the home <laughs> and what was known as a town. But the older I get, the more I want to know about my traditions. And I want to know about my past and how my family was raised. And I want to know about what God done in the life of my family and how they was raised in their Christian experience. And so when I look at my boys and, and their lives and their kids' lives, I, I hold on to this, that train up a child in the way he should go. And when he is old, he'll not depart from that way. For the most part... Beliefs, Christian beliefs, are the same within Christianity. Now, I'm op- I know I'm going to open up a whole can of words. Okay, I, I, I understand that. But for the most part, the beliefs are the same. We believe in God. We believe in Jesus. We believe in the Bible. Uh, those 
practice those things that we believe um, is very many practices. This is why you have all these denominations and churches and stuff because we believe the same pretty much, but how we practice those beliefs is a whole other story. Water baptism is one of those beliefs agreed upon but practiced differently among Christians. And I just want to throw some things at you that um, I learned in seminary, learned in school, and all that kind of good stuff. So here's the questions that are asked. Do you have to be completely immersed in the water? Are you allowed to sprinkle? Are you allowed to anoint? Um, do you have to be completely immersed for the baptism to take? Do you have to be in running water? Do you have to be in a creek or a river where the water kind of runs downhill so that when all your sins are washed off, they run down to the next guy being baptized, so they can run down to the next guy being baptized. <laughs> and I know you're laughing about it, but people are serious about stuff like this. Do you have to be in running water, or can you be uh, in here in a pool like this? What is the requirements in this uh, baptismal stuff? Do you have to be a certain age to be baptized? Can you be a baby, an infant? Do you have to be an adult? At what age is it right for one to be baptized? Do you have to be immersed three times? in your baptism, in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit? Or can you do it all in one shot, say in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, and dunk the person? Do you have to be immersed three times or one time? Do you have to be immersed the Trinitarian way? That would be in the name of the Father, in the name of the Son, in the name of the Holy Spirit. Or can you be immersed in the apostolic way in the book of Acts when they baptized in water? They said, I baptize you in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, and not the Trinitarian way. Which way is the right way for one to be baptized? Do you need a class on the subject before baptism? Or can you be baptized right away? Some people make their confession of faith and then they have to go through classes to get to baptism. Others say, no, as soon as you accept Jesus Christ as Savior, we need to find a place for you to be baptized. Do you need to be baptized or re-baptized to become a member of the congregation? Every church does it different. They might ask you, have you been baptized? You say yes or no. Well, have you been baptized the way we believe baptism? If you say no, in order to be a member of this church, you need to be re-baptized. The formal baptism really didn't work. So do you have to be baptized or re-baptized to become a member of a congregation? Do you have to be water baptized to be saved? There are some people who look at what... Uh, uh, it said in the book of Mark, it says if you repent and you're baptized at that point, you're saved. Or are you baptized as a confirmation of the work of Christ has done in your life? So you're not saved until you're baptized or when you're uh, saved, as you're working out your life in Christ and following him, you go into baptism saying, I want to uh, confirm what Christ is doing in my life. Every Christian denomination and non-denominational church, it doesn't matter, they arrive at these beliefs and these practices that I laid out for you by three means. Now, everybody says they do it different. There's three ways every church member, every preacher, anybody who goes to school, everybody who becomes a believer, they look at three things to arrive at the things they really believe. Number one, we all say we base our teaching on the New Testament, right? I mean, how are you going to argue with that? No matter what denomination you came from, the church you say, I believe the New Testament. That's one means. Secondly, they look to the early church father's writings uh, on these particular issues. What did the early church say? That would be after the death of the last apostle, 
to those ministers who followed the apostles down the church line? What did the early church fathers teach on these practices or beliefs? Did they look to practices or traditions handed down from one generation to another? And of course, every good Christian will say the following, and I'm not saying this right or wrong, but we all say this. Of course, everyone will say, the Holy Spirit spoke to me. And if the Holy Spirit spoke to me, that's all there is to it. How many going to argue with that? Everybody says the Spirit talks to them. Everybody in the world says that if you're a believer, says the Holy Spirit told me this. You really can't argue with that, but in the end, everybody will say, the Holy Spirit told me this. The brethren tradition is no exception to these rules. In 1708, eight believers gathered in Schwarzenau, Germany, at a place called the Edder River, to covenant together on their understanding of the New Testament teaching on baptism. What it was at this time, people were rejecting infant baptism because for them, it was a means of grace. You were saved. When you were baptized, it was confirmed. You're good for life. These eight got together from all these different backgrounds and said, wait a minute, as we look at the New Testament, we don't see any of this written in here where an infant is supposed to be baptized or not supposed to be baptized. And they said, we're going to put all these things we believe down. And we are going to covenant together, and we're going to covenant together by way of baptism and put aside our denominational affiliations. Now, how do we do that here? I suspect most of you were brought up in the Brethren Church. I suspect that. However, there are those in this church who come from a Lutheran background, right? a Methodist background, uh, other backgrounds. That, but we all put aside certain things, do we not, to say we will join together as believers for the glory of God, and we'll work out all this other stuff as we go. But we all come from different denominational affiliations, and we say, for now we're going to set that aside, and we're going to covenant here as Oak Street Brethren to do the work of God. This is what these eight believers done. From this covenant they made with one another, they formed the following practices. Number one, believer's baptism. That means adults only. You had to come to a place where you accepted Christ as personal Savior. You had to have make a will confession that he's God and you understood what he done on the cross. Believer's baptism. Number two, complete immersion. You have to go down in that water completely. If you don't, wasn't very good. They baptized in the Trinitarian way, meaning they baptized in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. And when they baptize, they baptize three times. You go down in the name of the Father, you come up. In the name of the Son, you come up. In the name of the Holy Spirit, you come up. This was the traditional way of the brethren. And I say that to say this. Along the way, everybody forgets some of their practices, do they not? For instance, used to be church services lasted four hours. You're not going to give a millennial any more than 10 minutes. And you better hope to catch them right away. But things change. Practices change because you think you're reaching out and going to win those people. But ultimately, what wins anybody is the work of God working in their lives, touching them, changing them, the Holy Spirit ministering to them. And as the body of Christ learns and serves and follows Christ as a spirit work through us, that's what will draw a person to Christ. So they do it three times, and then they do it in a forward motion. I didn't realize this when I, I, I baptized Bryce, 
about it. As long as you're baptized, whether I went three times in the name of God, Son, and Holy Spirit, whether I went one time, it don't change the work of God in your heart that He's trying to do with you, that He wants to move in your heart and soul. Well, then I went over to the Brethren Heritage Center, and they think I'm kind of weird because, not because we're breaking off, but because I don't want to change the church. They said, all these pastors who come in, they just want to try to make the church their way and do what they want to do. And they forget about the brethren practices and brethren business. So that's not me. God did not ask me to come in and change the church. This is his holy people. This is their tradition. This is their way. And I want to stay true to that. And then he, he immediately asked, what about baptism? Yeah. <laughs> what about baptism? Do you baptize for it? And I said, no, I didn't think about it one way or another, truthfully. But when he began to tell me, oh, why uh, the Lord motion, I got in my scriptures, and I started studying and reading, and some things just hit me. And so at the end of the sermon, I hope to end up with why forward motion is important. Uh, in our sermon text this morning, Jesus says two important things before he dies. First, he says, I thirst. Secondly, he says, it is finished. I believe this was the baptism of Jesus when he says, I have a baptism to be baptized with that you guys can't do. I thirst and it is finished. This was his baptism. Jesus was called before the foundation of the world to redeem mankind. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was, was God. Before he took on human flesh, he was the Word of God. So he knew all along that he was called. But after his birth, this call was instilled within him. How is anything instilled within us? Our mom and dad, is it not? They teach us, they lead us, they guide us. So I'm sure as a little boy, his mom and dad are teaching him the law of God. God is doing something special in your life. He spoke to our hearts. He sent angels, and he done something in us. Jesus said, you're here, and you're here, here as a result of the will of God. So his mom and dad began to teach him what God was going to do in his life. At age 12, the Bible says he was found at the temple teaching the adults. They were astonished that he knew so much about the ways of God. Then Jesus would say in Luke chapter, I believe it's four, I'm not real sure. Today, this scripture is fulfilled in your ears. God is going to send an anointed one. He's going to preach. He's going to raise the dead. He's going to heal the blind. He's going to fill people with his spirit. He says, today, this has been fulfilled in your ears. He shuts the book and is immediately kicked out of the temple. He says to his disciples, I must need go to Jerusalem. They didn't understand why he needed to go to Jerusalem. He knew he had to go to Jerusalem because he was going to go to a cross to die for mankind. Jesus, knowing all this, growing in this, learning in this, says, I must fulfill the call of God on my life. Yet, life was hard on the Lord Jesus Christ. He said he had no place to lay his head. His own people rejected him. His friends denied him. He had to be separated from his family. No son wants to be separated from his mom or his dad. No child wants that to happen in life. But he knew to fulfill the call of God on his life, he would have to be separated from his family. At any time, Jesus Christ could have manifested his power, or he could have walked away from the call of God on his life. He said, if I want, I can call the armies of heaven down. 
having these guys be crucified. This ain't you doing it. This is the will of God. God has given you this to do. Go ahead and do it. You have no power but the power that God gives you to do this. Jesus says, Father, remove this from me. He goes out to prayer by himself. He knows he's about to go to the cross, and he asks God, is there any other way that this can be completed? Do I have to go through this? He could have walked right away. He could have done what he wanted to do. He could have told the devil, I'm going to be in cahoots with you. Give me the food. I'll eat it. Give me the water. I'll drink it. Give me all the kingdoms of the world. I'll take it, for that is my right. Jesus never done that. Through all this turmoil and the mouth of his own wife, Jesus said, I thirst. What does it mean to say, I thirst? All along his life, he struggled to fulfill the call of God. He knows what God wants him to do. It's in his heart to go to Jerusalem. It's in his heart to go and do what, die on the cross. And he says when he's on the cross, I thirst. When he says, I thirst, he looks back on his life and he says, I have fulfilled the call of God. Jesus fulfilled God's call on his life. He obeyed his Father. The worst was over. Jesus Christ took the sorrow and the sin of mankind on himself, and he was hurting, and he says, I thirst. He said, I got something else to say to the people out here on the earth. He said, put a little bit of this for me now so I can speak to the people. After he does this, he pays the price for the sin of mankind. After he says, I thirst, Jesus then says one more thing. He says, it is finished. I fulfill the call of God in my life. It's been a hard life. It's been a rough road. But I obeyed my Father. The worst is over. I thirst. And now it is finished. What is finished? His work was finished. Everything was paid in full, accomplished. The types, promises, and prophecies were finished. The sacrifices, ceremonies of the priesthood were finished. His perfect obedience was finished. The satisfaction of God's justice was finished. The power of Satan, sin, and death. It was all done. He accomplished it. On the cross, he looks back and he says, I thirst. I fulfill the will of God in my life. It is finished. I pay for the sin of mankind. Jesus Christ said those two very important things. That was his baptism. But I believe that man has a different baptism. Man has a different baptism than Jesus. Why? Because man has a different thirst. Man wants success. He wants love. He wants acceptance. He searches everywhere to find something to fill the void and a thirst in his life. And he can't find it no matter where he walks because he's a sinful person. He will never fulfill what's in his heart and in his soul because he's lost and undone. His thirst is different than the Lord Jesus. Jesus wanted to follow and serve the King of Peace and Lord of Lords. Man does not want to do that. He wants to serve himself, his own right, his own will, in his own way. So man goes through life trying to find a way to fulfill what's in his heart. But man will never be satisfied. His thirst will never be satisfied until he finally comes to life-giving water. John chapter 4, verse 14. He says, if you drink of this water, you'll thirst again. But if you drink of the water I will give you, you will never thirst again. You and I will never be satisfied until...
be satisfied when man does that. And he looks at his life and he says, this ain't working, man. The way I've been doing it ain't working. There's got to be something more, let's say. There's got to be something better. And you run into something better and you find out it ain't better. The beer commercial says it'll make everything right, but drink responsibly. And you find out all you are is over the, the, the old toilet bowl throwing up. And saying, that didn't work out right, dude. Right? You run to other men, you run to other women thinking this will work, this will be right. It don't work. You can't run away from the thirst down deep inside your heart. But when you come to the king, you say, my thirst is finished. I am ready to go. I want this life no longer, God. I thirst. And when man comes to God and he does that, God feels that in his heart and his soul. And you'll never thirst again. When man comes to the baptismal pool, he says, it is finished. Why does a man say it is finished when he comes to the pool of baptism? Whether he's in running water or not, whether he's sprinkled on the head or not, whether he's anointed at his life end or not, what is finished in the man's life? He says, my old way of life is done. Buried through the cross and water baptism. I no longer want to live this way. I no longer want to follow this way. It is done. I stand at the pool of baptism to say to you, God, it is finished. All the things I thirsted for, all the things I desired are dead. They died on that cross because I came running to the cross of Calvary. My old way of life is done, buried in the cross through water baptism. My rights, my desires, my will, all these things die when I come up out of that water. Everything in me is supposed to die when I come out of that water. I go down and I say I die to my will, myself, my way, it's who I am. I want to live for the King and I want to live for your glory. Christians today, I think we neglect that. We all like our rights. We all want our desires. We all want our will. But all that's supposed to die when we come up out of that water. In our sermon passage this morning, Jesus bowed his head forward and gave up his spirit. When he bowed his head forward and gave up the spirit, this signified peace. Jesus bowed his head in victory, not defeat. I've done the will of God. I've fulfilled the will of God. I've, I've done everything you asked me to do. I've made the sin for mankind. This was your will for my life. This was your call in my life. It is finished. And now, Father, I bow in peace. All the turmoil, all the struggles, everything I went through, I wasn't defeated, God, because you are going to raise me up. It is in victory, Lord, that I bow my head, not defeat. Giving up his spirit signified his willingness to obey God. No one took his life. Jesus said, nobody takes my life. I freely give it to God. When the Bible says he gave up his spirit, he said, I'm willing to obey you because I love you. And no one's doing this. No one's coercing me, Father. I do this out of my own will. It is a brilliant practice baptizing the person in a forward motion with complete immersion. 
And this comes out of the Brethren Revival Fellowship. They look at Romans chapter 6 and verse 5. And brethren say, we are buried in the likeness of his death. So they say, in a way to take this passage literal. If Jesus, when he died on the cross, and I'm buried in his likeness, he bowed his head forward. John chapter 19 says, he bowed his head forward. Then the brethren say, we must bow our head forward when we're baptized in that water. Because this is the most literal way to do it. That struck me when I started hearing these guys talk about that. I'm not saying it was of God or not. I'm not saying that at all. I'm just saying, I'm like, you guys hit it, man. When I go forward, I die to myself. I give up my will. I give up all my rights. And I say, you are the only true king. You are the only true Lord. And you are the only true God. He bowed his head in forward movement. We too are to receive baptism in the same way, bowing our heads in a forward movement. Now the brethren took this in a most literal way in that part of baptism. But I got thinking, maybe there is a symbolic relevance to going forward in baptism. That when we go down, we bow in peace. We freely give ourselves to the Lord Jesus Christ. Knowing that all the turmoil and struggle in life is buried with him in water baptism. When you go forward, we all get baptized with regrets. We regret our old life. We regret our old ways. We regret the things we've done. And sometimes we live with the residue of those regrets. And it hurts and it's painful. But when we go forward, we can go forward in peace and say, God, today all these struggles are over. All this turmoil, all this pain, I go down in peace. And when my old life gets down in that water, it ain't never coming back up. It's dead. It's gone. It's buried. And then when I come up out of that water, I come up a new person. And I say it is finished. You are my Lord and you are my God. Now Jesus, when he done that, gave up the spirit. He appeared to all the disciples after God raised him up. He went back to the heavens and he interceded for mankind. All the things that he struggled with, that he went through, paid off for the glory of God. You and I, our turmoil struggles in a different way, but I want you to know it's dead this morning, brothers and sisters. When we go down, the old life is dead. I didn't say we ain't going to struggle, we ain't going to fight, we ain't going to hurt, we ain't going to be in pain. But we come up in newness of life. Knowing that the Lord Jesus Christ has forgiven us, that he's touched us, and that he's ministered to us. And just as Jesus began a new journey after his resurrection, we too begin a new journey when we come up out of that water. I hope we baptize many more believers. I hope we realize the significance of our baptism. I'm not saying that before. I'm saying this is a brother tradition. And I'm going to bring it back to the best of my ability. But I will say the significance of your baptism has great weight on your spiritual life. You are supposed to be dead. And risen in the newness of life with him in this world. What a way to start here in 2020. Saying I'm dead, but I can be at peace in the old way. Would you pray with me this morning?
Heavenly Father, I come to you now in Jesus' name. I thank you for water baptism and the significance in our lives that we should be baptized. We should go to heaven. And we should say, my life is dead so that I can live for the glory of God. Then our lives can be at peace because of what Jesus done on that cross. Our sin is no longer hanging over our heads and pushing us and running us away from you. But it was paid on the cross of Calvary. And we can say it is finished. What you've done is finished. And we thank you for that, Lord. Thank you for leading by example. And thank you for the eight brothers and sisters who looked in the New Testament and their own way says, we want to go down just as Jesus went down. Those two different views of life, two different calls. He did it for the glory of God. We're laying down because we don't want to live the old life anymore. I pray you touch our hearts, touch our souls, touch our minds. That we walk in the new way of life. For your glory and honor, Father. I ask in Jesus' name. Amen.